Damon, grab a seat. Boy, it is with great delight that I also want to add my welcome. Uh, my name's Kenan Vaughn. Got the great privilege of being the lead pastor here, and I'm so excited you're here with us this morning. Has it been a great morning of worship? Uh, amen. Let's uh, praise God for that. I was hoping that uh, Damon and, and the gang would just uh, start right back over at the end of All I Have is Christ and just play it again. Um, that was so, do uh, you guys think about those words when you're singing? I mean, can I just do this? Like, this is unbelievable. I mean, I want to make sure y'all heard what I heard. Um, now, don't worry, I'm not going to sing it, but listen. Um, uh, uh, I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. Right here. And if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. All right, back up to the, uh, to the second verse. Um, As I ran my hell-bound race, indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross. And I beheld God's love displayed. You suffered in my place. You bore the wrath reserved for me. Now all I know is grace. Amen. Man. Damon, I don't know how quick we can operate, but maybe at the end we can do that again or something. Golly. Uh, praise God for the grace of the gospel. Well, y'all turn with me to Ephesians uh, chapter 2. We're going to be in chapter 2, verses 11 through 22 this morning as we talk about our core value of diversity. Uh, for those keeping score at home, this is core value number six. <clears throat> and every one of these core values are those things which we want to be intentional about pursuing, being gospel-driven, um, being a disciple-making church, having authentic community, being a church on our knees in prayer, uh, being missional, and pursuing diversity for the glory of God. We're going to talk about that this morning. So if you're in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 and following, I'll read. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Verse 19, consequently you are no longer foreigners and aliens but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ, Jesus himself is the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord and in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. It's the word of the Lord for the people of God. Amen. Let's pray. God, will you just take our uh, time this morning as we look deeply into the word. Uh, Lord, And I just pray that your spirit would bring forth truth, that you would speak directly to us. Uh, Lord, that we may literally encounter you, hear from you, and, and leave this place moved. Moved to our deepest being to pursue 
diversity, not just for the sake of the diversity, for the sake of unity amidst diversity, that you might be glorified in our visible display of the power of gospel, where you are our peace. God, I pray that in these next few moments, I would decrease and you would increase. For your glory, it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So the first thing we notice in this passage, Ephesians 2, 11 and following, is these strong words that Paul uses in writing to the Ephesians. He uses these words of separated. You see that? You're separated from the people of God. He uses this word excluded from citizenship, and he calls them foreigners. Those are pretty strong words talking to the Gentiles. Basically, the idea is there were outsiders and there were insiders, and he's reminding this church in Ephesus, you were once outsiders looking in. Matter of fact, if you had asked a Jew, uh, it would have been even uh, worse than that. Listening to them talk, um, Jews saw themselves as the people of God, which of course they were. The part they missed was that God had blessed them to be a blessing to the nations. And so they saw everyone else as outside the blessing of God, therefore not having access to the covenant promise of God, therefore with no hope or with no God and with no God in this world. And here was the Jewish attitude. Um, When a Jew went into the house of a Gentile, they were taught to literally come out and shake the dust of the Gentile house off their sandal, that they may not have any Gentile dust upon them. Um, uh, uh, Jewish men uh, were known to pray the prayer, God, thank you. This was part of their daily prayer. Thank you for not making me a dog, a woman, or a Gentile. How about that? How about that for self-righteousness? Um, they, um, they, the idea of their, their little club, they called themselves the circumcision, and everyone else was simply the uncircumcision. Pagans, heathens, as you can imagine, there's no love lost between Jew and Gentile. The Gentiles, just pagan heathens. The Jews, lost in their self-righteousness. We have the, the religious and the irreligious, all desperately in need of a redeemer. Amen? And so we get to verse 13, and something happens that would somehow bridge the chasm, and it was a chasm between Jew and Gentile. So read with me, verse 13. Now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. The idea is that there is a blood, that blood of a redeemer, who is perfectly righteous, that somehow doesn't only reconcile us to God, He's the mediator between God and all men that our sin be washed away, but reconciles us to our fellow man, even if the chasm is as big as the Jew and the Gentile. So if you come in here today and you feel a disconnect between the younger generation, they just don't get me, or a disconnect between the older generation, it's tough to to worship with them and their style, we have a different musical preference in worship. Uh, or a disconnect between those of a different cultural background or, or refugees that God has brought to our city and I just can't connect with them, or those of a different skin color. I'm going to tell you that whatever your disconnect is, it pales in comparison to that of a Jew and a Gentile, and yet the blood of Jesus brought those who are far near into the fellowship of God. In the church of Christ, the blood of Jesus is central that there is no vertical divider that separates us based on any of our differences, that we have one commonality in Christ, one common allegiance that puts to death all that might otherwise divide us. Y'all seeing this? The blood of Jesus reconciles us vertically to God, horizontally to one another. Now I want you to watch as Paul keeps building this argument. He says in verse 14, for he himself, talking about Jesus, is our peace who has made the two one, listen to the language, he's destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. 
Um, if you were in the church in Ephesus and you were receiving this letter, you would immediately have an image come to mind, and that was the temple. In the temple, there were four courts, all divided by what were called dividing walls. And the reason you had dividing walls up in the temple was because there were regulations. And the regulations said that Jew and Gentile, male and female, Israelite and priest, must be separated. Must be separated. So there were regulations that brought division in literal walls. Matter of fact, uh, there were four courts. The outer court was the court of Gentiles. The next court in was the court of women. The next court in was the court of the Israelites. And the final court was the court of priests, where inside was the Holy of Holies. Um, In 1871, archaeologists found inscribed in three different languages on the walls separating Gentiles and women, uh, Gentiles must not pass this point upon punishment of death. Interesting little side note, Paul's writing this letter in prison. He's writing to the church of Ephesus in prison. The reason he's in prison is he was falsely accused for taking a Gentile into the Jewish court. So when they see this language, they know immediately dividing wall. Yes, we get it because of a regulation, and there is great hostility. And Paul says, he, Jesus, is our peace who has come to tear down those walls. That literally there be no more division between two people based on regulation. He abolishes the regulation. He tears down the walls. Jew and Gentile have what is called peace. There's the absence of division. There's the absence of hostility when the walls are torn down. But Paul doesn't stop there. I want you to see this. His purpose, reading forward the second half of verse 15, his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. So what I want you to see is this. Um, Jesus' blood was not simply to bring the absence of hostility, but to establish intimacy. Do you see that? It wasn't so that there would merely not be division, uh, not be disunity, not be uh, broken fellowship, not be hostility. It was that there would be something in its place. There would be restored fellowship. There would be unity. Uh, There would be intimacy. And the blood of Christ comes not just tearing down the walls of division, but bringing together and establishing what's called one new man, where we're unified in the blood of Christ. Y'all with me? Uh, By the way, let me just take a moment and underscore the historical context of this. We talked about the Jew and the Gentile. There was no love lost. Then you bring in the Samaritans, this third party, this half-breed, this tweener, and let me, let, me just, let me just give you a, a bit of, of a reminder about the Samaritans. Um, in 722, when the kingdom had split under Solomon and the Assyrians came into the northern kingdom of Israel, ten tribes, they took them into captivity and they, um, they brought in pagans from all nations to, uh, to inhabit the northern kingdom of Israel. And those Jews that were left intermarried with those pagans. Not only did they intermarry, which uh, really um, uh, disturbed the Jews in the south who were still practicing Jews, not only did the Jews in the north intermarry with the pagans, but they began to inter-worship with them. Y'all with me? So the Jews in the south saw the intermarrying with pagans and the inter-worshiping, said you're crossing the bloodlines, you're fouling up the tradition, you're no longer Jews. Well, God would send the Babylonians in 586, you guys know the story, the southern kingdom of uh, Judah would be taken off to captivity for only 70 years as God had prophesied and promised through Jeremiah. They would come back under um, uh, Zerubbabel, uh, uh, Nehemiah, and Ezra, and they would rebuild the temple and the city and reinstate the law. And the Samaritans, by the way, they were called Samaritan, the Samaritans were the, the, um, the offspring of Jew and pagan in the north, Okay. They were the offspring. They were the product of this people that's hearts were wandering in idolatry. 
And Samaritans came down and said, hey, we'd like to help you rebuild the walls. And the high priest Joshua said to them, you're no longer kin to us. Go home. Which didn't sit well with those Samaritans in the north. So they built their own temple. They said, we're no longer going to uh, have the same tradition of you. Our, their Bible stopped after Deuteronomy. Um, things got more heated when the Greeks took over and became the world empire, and Antiochus Epiphanes uh, is traveling. He's the crazy uh, descendant of, um, of Alexander the Great, and he's going through Samaria to get to Jerusalem. And the Samaritans, not only do they not try to, to stop him, they literally part ways, roll out the red carpet, and say, come on through, Antiochus, get those dirty Jews and give them what they deserve. Well, that didn't sit well in the South. So by the time Jesus comes on the scene, in John 4, we see him talking to a Samaritan woman at the well, and as soon as she finds out he's Jewish, what does she say? Why are you talking to me? Like, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. We don't even talk. When the, uh, when the Pharisees got really angry with Jesus in John 8, you know what they called him? The worst name they could call him. You're a demon-possessed Samaritan. Are you guys hearing this? In Luke 9, Jesus wasn't even allowed to go through Samaria because they found out he was just on his way to Jerusalem. You know what that is? That's hostility. That's hatred. That's division. So get the context in the early church. Here's Pentecost and the gospel's going forth. And Philip is preaching the gospel in Samaria. And guess what happens in Samaria? There's people that start getting saved. Such a surprise, that is, that the apostles in Jerusalem say, we better send Peter and John to figure out what's going on. So Peter and John travel to Samaria, join Philip in ministry, and find out, yes, indeed, the Samaritans are getting saved, and the Holy Spirit's coming on them. And the guys in Jerusalem are pretty upset about this. They're going, hey, what are we supposed to do? These guys are professing to believe what we believe, but they are our enemies. So they formed a council to answer this very question. They had to get a council, it's called the Council of Jerusalem. And in Acts 15, and I've marked it because I wanna read it to you, here was the question on the table. In verse five um, of Acts 15, some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. Here was their deal. If they're going to join us, if they're going to take part in our Jewish Messiah, they've got to become like us. They gotta get circumcised. They're going through us if they wanna get to the Savior. Are y'all ready for Pete's speech? Peter stands up, and he addresses them, and here's what he says. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. God made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Verse 10, now then, why do you try to test God? By putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear. We've all broke under the law. It's led none of us to repentance, but merely to self-righteousness. You want to put them under that yoke? Watch this. No! No! We believe that it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they are. Peter says this, they don't have to become Jews in order to be in belonging with us. No, Jew and Gentile have to become Christians. And we all do that by grace through faith in Jesus. One new man that everybody is brought into 
by grace. You see this? Um, listen, I, uh, I don't think Jesus came that there might be a, um, a church for um, converted Jews uh, to be established so they can worship together, and a, and a church uh, for there to be converted Gentiles that they may uh, worship together, and a church for converted Samaritans that they may worship together, and a church for um, older folks so they can kind of do their thing together, and a church for uh, young church planters who are uh, really cool and hip that they can do their thing, and a church for those who like louder music, and a church for those who like softer music, and a church for Democrats, and a church for Republicans, and a church for internationals. Jesus came to establish one new man. And the very idea of the new man, listen, the very idea of the new man is that we could be embracing unity amidst diversity. The very power of the one new man was that we would be of different ages, of different races, of different socioeconomic uh, classes, of different political persuasions, and yet we have one allegiance that tears down all of our division. His name is Christ. One new man. And so hear this, um, if I'd stumbled into a church in Ephesus and I had found a bunch of um, worshiping converted Jews, I probably wouldn't have thought much about it. I wouldn't have thought twice. If I'd stumbled into a church and found, oh, this is a bunch of Samaritan converts, I probably wouldn't have thought twice about it. And if I'd stumbled into a church and found a bunch of Gentile converts, I probably wouldn't have thought twice about it. But if I'd stumbled into a little house church in Ephesus and I looked in and I saw Jew, Samaritan, and Gentile, and they were worshiping together, I would have said, whoa, whoa, like what is happening here? And without a word being preached, I would have seen the power of the gospel. You see that? Well, then let me say it. If I walk into a church in Memphis, Tennessee today, um, and I see um, all uh, older folks uh, um, who are proud of their tradition and don't want to change, I probably wouldn't think twice about it. And if I were walk into a, a church plant with a bunch of young people who are sure that they know how uh, this God is to be worshipped, I probably wouldn't think much about it. If I walked into a church uh, where it was all white or uh, all African American or all African refugee or all international, I probably wouldn't think, I would say, that's typical wouldn't strike me. But if I walked into a church and I saw older people worshiping with younger people who clearly have different styles and preferences of how they would like to worship, and if I saw those of different skin color and different cultural heritage, and I saw those of different economic class and different political persuasion, and I saw them all worshiping God and loving one another, I would know two things. One, I would know these are people about the gospel. Not the gospel plus, the gospel. Secondly, I would know that the spirit of God is alive in this place because you don't get unity amidst diversity outside the power of God. Yes. Let me give you a case in point. Uh, last Sunday, we had a um, great gal um, named Sarah. She um, came into our church service um, 
Um, she had not been to church, but gosh, maybe once or twice in her whole life, if I remember the story correctly. Um, she was raised in um, uh, London of Palestinian descent, uh, had been in a, a Muslim home uh, in the early years of her life, had uh, ultimately kind of taken on a, a non-religious life. Um, she, she is in our church at the invitation of her boyfriend last Sunday. Um, and um, something happens where, where God moves in the life of Sarah to, to the extent that I get an email on Monday. And the email is saying that she um, uh, was touched by God, something happened, and she has some questions about who this Jesus is, how you get to know him, how you become a Christian. And so I met with her on Friday night, just the night before last, uh, just across the street. Pepper and I went, and we met with this gal, and um, we began to talk. Um, I said, based on your email, you were feeling something the Lord was doing. What is it that you felt? She said, well, I walked in, and this was out of Sarah's mouth. I walked in, and I saw diversity. She said, I saw people of all kinds, of all colors, of all ages, and I thought, this is not the norm. There's something special, unique going on here. She said, then I heard the prayers of the people. And I thought, this, these are the people of God. And she said, I wanted to be a part of that family. If there's a family that doesn't divide, based on all those things that typically do, that have a relationship with God. And here was the third thing she said, all I've ever seen in religion is do, do, do. And I heard about a grace by which Christ has done what we can never do, where he gives us a righteousness that we cannot earn. And so it was the diversity of the body, the prayers of the people, and the gospel of Jesus Christ and its grace. And she became a sister in Christ Friday night. Amen. One new man. There's power when there's unity amidst diversity. I'll be honest, my heart gets a little excited when I look out and I see Africans. I see African Americans. I see Indian families in our church. Um, I see white folks in our church. Um, I see older, I see younger, I see Asian uh, folks uh, in our church. I see uh, uh, international students coming to our church, going back to the nations we now have a Palestinian sister in our church. That excites me. Because before I or anyone else stands up here and says a word, people will feel and experience the power of the gospel. You understand why this is a core value? Why we will pursue this? We won't just welcome it. We're not just okay with it. We'll pursue it. It's one of our great privileges. It displays the power of God. Well, watch this. As we keep reading, um, his purpose is to create one new man out of the two. Verse 17, he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Gang, in that day, um, Rome was after peace. Did you know that? If you remember your history class, it was called the Pax Romana. Uh, they wanted to establish world peace in a world kingdom of Rome. And by the way, they didn't define peace maybe quite like we do. It wasn't like negotiated treaties. No, it was by war. Uh, they went out and conquered you. And once uh, you were fully under their authority, number one, and you had access back to uh, the capital city of Rome by way of road, number two, then that was considered peace established with you. 
under the authority with access to. That equaled peace. Peace was a buzzword in that culture. That's all Rome talked about. And Paul started the passage saying, he himself is our peace. People are going, huh? I thought Rome was our peace. Paul's saying, he came to bring peace to those who are far away. He came to preach peace to those who are near. And the people, the stunning implication, if you're hearing this in the church of Ephesus, you're starting to believe, wait a minute. If Christ and not Rome is our peace, that would mean Christ has authority over all the nations. And it would mean all the nations have access to Christ. Is it true? Well, here's what they believed. Here's the kicker, you ready? They believed the emperor who could bring about the peace of Rome on earth would be divine. And only one who is divine could bring such peace. And so, oh, by the way, he is divine. He's the divine son of God. He's not just a Jewish Messiah coming for his people. He is the king of the world, bringing salvation to the nations, bringing that which Rome will never establish. One new man, the kingdom of our Lord. Authority over all the nations, access to Christ. The strength of our witness is our unity amidst our diversity. It's the one thing that everyone in this room has in common that outweighs all those things which otherwise would in a heartbeat divide us. It's the blood of Christ. One verse 19 Here's a picture of what this looks like. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Paul's a preacher, so he likes to paint a picture. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself is the chief cornerstone. I want you to watch these words. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. It rises. And in him, you are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So here's the picture Paul says, you know of the temple with its dividing walls, with its Jew and its Gentile, but Jesus came to break down those walls. He came to establish peace between you and God and you and one another. What about all of our, but not with the Samaritan, not with the Gentile, not with the old, not with the young, not with the Republican? Yes, to break down that which divides and to make sure you get it, to form a new man where we all come hat in hand, spiritually bankrupt, salvation by grace through faith, none of us having anything to boast in, in and of ourselves. And he says, that body forms something. Forms a building, yes. Not like the one you've experienced in the temple. It's a new kind of temple. And there's all kind of building blocks. And by the way, no walls in this temple. Yes, a cornerstone. Jesus, the cornerstone gave structural integrity to the whole thing. It won't fall apart unless the cornerstone gives So we stand on the cornerstone of Christ and the the stones that God brings of all shapes, sizes, colors, backgrounds, we form a building and listen, what was the word? It's rising. By the way, present tense, it still rises today. That temple is still being built. And did you see the last verse? In this building, Christ dwells. He dwells. Here's the point. God delights to dwell among a people who leave their prejudices behind and leave their preferences behind in order that they might form. They might form a visible display of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ who is our peace. Amen? God delights 
to live in that kind of a building that rises and gives witness to the power of the gospel. I pray that those three verses would describe our church. A holy temple, yes. Not one of those with dividing walls. Not one of those that makes you varsity or JV based on what you bring to the table. Recognizes we bring nothing. But it rises based on the cornerstone who has brought us to himself, who gives structural integrity to our oneness. And in all of our diversity, we rise. And we display the power of him who lives within us. Isn't it beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? My goodness. So if nothing else, we just pray. We pray that God would make us diverse. Diverse beyond our wildest dreams and diverse beyond our wildest comforts. Cherish it. We'll celebrate it. Let me um, round third and head home just summarizing these three application points which I've said somewhere in this message. Number one, we live in a world of divisions. We live in a world of divisions. But we are not of this world. Dr. King, not too long ago, walked these streets, preached this gospel. He was quoted as saying, Sunday morning is still the most segregated hour of the week in our nation. That wasn't too long ago, gang. Okay? Um, Let it not be true of this place. That we don't segregate based on any of our prejudice, any of our pride, any of our preference. We relish in the diversity of the body of Christ. We relish in the reality that only Christ can do this. Only Christ. The church is to be the one place, the one place where you can find folks of all kinds and you don't find division. You find unity amidst diversity. Amen? Number one, the world's a place of division, but we're not of this world. Don't ever forget it. Number two, Our unity amidst diversity, which is our privilege by the blood of Christ, our unity amidst our diversity is one of our greatest opportunities to display the power of the gospel. One of our greatest opportunities. All that is simply to say this. If someone walks in to our church and they see no diversity, we can tell them about a gospel that not only reconciles us to Christ, but one another and tears down the walls of division and hostility. We can preach it, but we can't show it. But if they walk into a place where they see, feel, and experience diversity in all its beautiful richness, then they'll experience the power of the gospel before we ever preach a word. Let us not miss the opportunity to display the power of the gospel. Let's be a body that prays for diversity. Number three, therefore, since we believe these things to be true, therefore, we don't just welcome diversity. We don't just welcome those who aren't like me. We pursue it. 
We pray for it. Uh, Rita Snowden tells the story um, of the French-English War where there was a troop who had lost one of their soldiers. It was on the French side. Um, just before they were heading out um, the next morning, they went to try to bury their fallen comrade, and they knocked on the door of a, uh, of a church. And the priest came and opened the door. They said, priest, our, our brother has fallen. May we bury him here in this Christian cemetery. The priest said, well, um, I'd like for you to do that, but this is a Catholic cemetery. Um, was your uh, fallen soldier Catholic? And they looked at one another, and they looked back, and they said, well, no, actually, we don't think he was, but he was a Christian. And the priest said, I'm sorry, I, I don't really make the rules here, but it's only for Catholics. We cannot bury your friend here. Well, they were incredibly disheartened, and so they went just outside the fence of the cemetery with no other option. They dug a grave. They made a makeshift headstone. They buried their fallen comrade. Um, the next morning, they came uh, to pay their last respects, and his grave was gone. So they knocked priest, um, we, we buried him just outside the fence because of, of what you told us, and he's not there. What's happened? And the priest, who looked contritely at them, said, I woke up with such grave conviction that I went out in the night with my own hands, and I moved the fence. Christ came, and he moved the fence that we might be about moving the fence. I want you to hear me say this. When we hold tightly to our preference and when we segregate our worship of Christ based on age, based on um, musical style, uh, based on skin color, Lord, help us, based on cultural heritage and tradition, we make little of the gospel But when we die, we die to the flesh in its preference. We make much of Christ and the power of the gospel in this place that we might move the fence. We're going to take communion here in a moment. Um, and, you know, communion is a time when we get to reflect. The uh, Bible tells us to, um, to spend time in self-reflection. One of the things we are reflecting on is, is there peace between us and our brothers and sisters? Did you know that? It's one of the things we're to reflect on. Is there peace? Or does there need to be reconciliation? So you come to the table if there's two forms of reconciliation Alive and well in your life. One, vertically, by the blood of Christ, you have been saved by grace through faith, so you profess Christ. Secondly, there's no division among you. Horizontally. And if there is a gap, a break, if you're living in unrepentant sin, vertically, if there's not reconciliation horizontally, you're told to bypass to sit in self-reflection, to examine that the Spirit might quicken to your mind that you need to repent, that you need to reconcile. And so you go and you seek that so that you can again return to the table in the favor of God. Often we don't maybe take that as seriously as we should. But I want the table this morning, especially this morning as we preach diversity, to be a place where we examine our hearts for the prejudice and the preference that might be 
slowly dying a hard death. That we would kill it, crucify it, before we come to the table this morning. I love the story of um, just after the Civil War, church in Virginia, all-white church, having its service. And sometime in the middle of the service, an African-American man walked in and sat in the back. People noticed, but the service went on. All-white church had never had unity and worship between white and black. And at the end of the service, it was time for communion. The pastor stood up and he invited those who professed Christ to come forward. And after everyone in the church had come forward, the African-American man in the back walked forward to take communion because he trusted Christ as a Savior. Then he got up to the front. And the pastor literally stood stone-faced in fear, not knowing what to do. And there were whispers among the people. And others were shouting that you cannot serve communion to this man. And so there was a very awkward silence. This is a true story. Until finally one man in the back, a white man, stood up and he walked down the aisle. And he got to the front and he took the cup of communion from the pastor. And he held it up and he said, brothers, in the blood we are one. There is no division And he served communion to his brother. And then he drank from the same cup. Man's name was Robert E. Lee. And what Lee stated that day, what Lee understood and brought uh, firmly into focus that day, is that the walls have come down and there's one new man. And when you come to the blood of Jesus... When you come to the blood, division dies here. Prejudice dies here. Our pride dies here. Our preference dies here. One new man, we relish in the diversity he's given us. Because we are a people who desire the the gospel to be visible to an unbelieving world. Amen? Amen. Will you pray with me? Father, I pray this morning as we come to the table that we would come rejoicing in the blood of Jesus, celebrating that you have freed us from our sin and, Lord, celebrating that you freed us from ourselves. You've freed us from our selfish pride. You've freed us from our selfish preference. You've freed us to love others who are nothing like us. Except that, except that they too call you Lord and Savior. And so with them, we link arms. We call them brothers. We call them sisters. Not because it's some cultural norm and kind thing to do, but because we are bonded in the blood. We are one new man and called the family of God. Lord, we cherish our diversity because we want your name lifted high in this place. We want the power of the gospel on display. Let it be so of our church. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Jesus said, this is my body, take it, eat. This is my blood, take and drink. Do these things in remembrance of me. He is our peace. 
reconciled us to the Father through his blood, and he's reconciled us to one another. Can we celebrate that this morning? Can we come to the table with peace on our hearts and minds? The table is open.